Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Daniel's not alone. He's not the only guy who prays like this. You read all through the Psalms and you see prayers that are prayed exactly like this. And we have the greatest thing ever as New Testament saints. We have the rest of the story. And we have this beautiful book called the book of Hebrews that says you boldly enter into the throne room of grace. Boldly. And here we are. We're so passive in our prayer lives. Are you bold when praying to the Lord? In today's message from Pastor James, he encourages you with the inheritance that you have through Jesus. Before the finished work of Jesus, you would need a mediator to communicate with God. But because of all that Christ has done, you can now enter boldly into God's throne room. Pastor James urges you to not be passive in your communication with God. Talk to him as you would a loving father, your God's beloved child that he cares for. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel chapter 9 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Let's not forget about those promises either. We love the good promises. We love the other, you know, like, hey, don't, don't stray from the left or to the right. Stay right in the middle and everything you do, you'll prosper and all that gets. We love those. But what about the ones where it's like, God's like, yeah, but if you break my law, um, uh, there, might be, there might be a price to pay. <laughs> and we're like, well, we don't like those promises. Well, yeah, how many coffee mugs have those verses on them? Zero, okay, <laughs> zero. How many mugs should have those verses on them? Um, just as many as the good promises, so to speak. For every Jeremiah twenty nine eleven mug, there should be whatever other verse, there should be these, these other verses on, on these mugs. Because we need those just as much as the I know the plans I have for you verses. Beautiful, great, encouraging. The other ones are encouraging in a whole nother way. Like, don't reject me before men. <laughs> You're like, well, I should pay attention to that one, shouldn't I? Yeah, you probably should. Yeah. He goes on. He, he just, he's reminding God. He's letting God know, look, you, you've kept your word. You've done exactly what you've warned. Never has there been such a disaster that has happened in Jerusalem. Verse 13, every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, because of that, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. Daniel's like, we got what we deserved. We got what we deserved. And this is his prayer. This is like him having this prayer meeting. He's writing this stuff down, but he's having this prayer meeting with God. And he's like, God, you're right. You said not to do it, and we did it. And you... You spelled it out for us. If we disobeyed, these are the things that are going to happen. And those things have come true. And it's 70 years. Did it, it was going to be 70 years for the land's sake. What's crazy is that there's no like reference or even hint at the people of Israel coming together and saying, you know what we should do? We should probably, we should probably apologize to God. We should probably repent. 
There's no record of that at all. And they've been in captivity for 70 years. But it shouldn't surprise us because all you got to do is just go back into the book of Judges. That's all you have to do is spend some time going through the book of Judges and you see the cycle happens all the time. Doing good, following the Lord, compromise comes in, start worshiping idols and all this good stuff and just turn their back on God. And then he sends in somebody to bring judgment upon them, whether it be the Midians or the Philistines or whoever else. And then they spend this many years in captivity until they finally cry out to God and say, please help us. He's like, all right, I'll send you a Samson. I'll send you a Deborah, a Barak. Uh, I'll send you um, Gideon. And he sends them judges, deliverers, rescuers, right? But it, it took them years to get there in some cases. And here they are in Babylon, and they're like, well, we're here. <laughs> we're here. Does anybody know why we're here? I don't know. This seems unfair. Why is God so mean? Why is God so mean? He's such an angry God. You're there because you got yourself there. I love that. It's, this is the day and age in which we live. The main thing people will say is, why is God so mean? God's not mean. God's just. And we might find ourselves in certain positions and predicaments within our lives because we got ourselves there. Sometimes he allows difficulties in our lives. But let's never, ever, ever forget the fact that captivity is still a thing. You can still end up a captive of someone or something because you ignore the word of God. That's truth. We don't like to hear that because we've grown up in this like snowflake society of like, just tell me good things. Tell me I'm a good person. You're not a good person. You're not. You're a sinner. There you go. That hurts my emotions. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that does, but it's truth. And truth meant to motivate us to repent and turn back to God. He's the best thing ever. He's just. He's true. He's faithful. It's, it's no surprise we find ourselves, and especially our nation in the state it is because our nation turned their back on God a long time ago. We don't want anything to do with him. God doesn't fit within our mold anymore. So we'll find a new God who makes us feel good about ourselves. We'll find him that we, we want one that's kind of like a genie in a bottle. Rub him, rub the lamp, and then out he comes and grants us wishes and wishes and wishes and makes us feel good and just serves us. That's not who God is. That's not who he is. He served mankind in the greatest way 2,000 years ago by coming here and dying on the cross for us. Not so that we could have a cushy life and get everything that we want. That's not what it's about. Here Israel is like, they've rejected and, and Daniel, Daniel's praying this, this beautiful prayer and he's like, look, all, all your word has come true. You know what? And, and God, you're just... You're just, our, our captivity is absolutely fair and just because we deserve it. We deserve it. Verse 15, he says, Oh Lord, our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. Have we forgotten that? But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. 
Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for, our, uh, for your own sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes to, and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. I love this prayer language. This is bold. This is courageous. This is humble. But my goodness, this guy knows how to pray. This guy knows how to pray. This is not like some sort of wishy-washy prayer. Like, Lord, I don't know if you want to, you want to, I don't know, and maybe, and I, no, Lord, hear our prayer. Open your eyes. See where we're at. Rescue us. And he's not bossing God around, but he is just begging. He is pleading with clarity, with clarity. Man, this has to be how our prayer life is. When that prayer meeting happens on Sunday mornings, tell me we're praying these prayers. These prayers, because these prayers transform cities. These prayers transform families. These prayers transform your life. Lord, open your eyes. Hear me, God. Daniel's not alone. He's not the only guy who prays like this. You read all through the Psalms and you see prayers that are prayed exactly like this. And we have the greatest thing ever as New Testament saints We have the rest of the story, and we have this beautiful book called the book of Hebrews that says you boldly enter into the throne room of grace, boldly. And here we are, we're so passive in our prayer lives. And I'm not saying, there's guys who go the opposite, they go way too overboard with this, where they are yelling at God and demanding things from God, and they are sinful in doing such things. That's wrong, and I think that that's disrespectful. But there is another side of this where are we going in boldly, though? Because I think the other disrespectful side of that is this passive-aggressive kind of like hanging out at the door of the throne room of God of like, I don't know if I can go in, God. I don't know if you want me in here or not. He wants you in there. He said it himself. So don't be on this extreme, but also don't go blazing through there, kicking open the door and like, all right, God, here's my demands. That's nonsense. But so is the other side. So is the other side. Enter into his presence with boldness, knowing, you, knowing who you are in him. Say, Lord, man, I need you to hear me. I need you to see me. Lord, I need you to rescue us. We are sinners. We've broken your law. We've gotten what we deserve. But God, what we need is your mercy. What we need is your mercy. Daniel's an awesome, man, this dude's awesome. This guy is amazing. Just absolutely amazing. And he's probably about 90 years old at this point in time. Anywhere from 85 to 90 years old. Awesome. He goes on to say, oh my God, for your people, this is just the rest of uh, 19 there. For your own sake, do not delay, O my Lord. For your own people, your own city, bear your name. And as he's like, and you could tell, like, it feels like he's getting fired up, right? Like, he's got that, like, handkerchief in his pocket, and he's, he's like, dabbing the sweat off his brow kind of a deal. Like, he's just, you know, he's probably walking around the room kind of like, that's sometimes what I do when I start to study. I get up and I have to walk around because I just kind of, like, do it. I don't know why, but I got to do it, and then I practice preaching. And then so there's times of, 
you know, there's, praise God there's no cameras in my office because all you would ever see is like me sometimes running circles, not really running circles, but walking circles around in my office like practice preaching because I just get fired up. I can imagine here's Daniel, he's just getting, he's just getting fired up. And then his prayer gets interrupted by God. He, this, is, this is amazing. You ever have a prayer or Bible time that just gets interrupted? You're just like, what? Seriously? We have a hard enough time praying as people right? Close your eyes. There's no rules against opening them or closing. You know, that's just something people, parents made up, right? Because kids can't focus, right? Nor can adults sometimes. But uh, close your eyes and then you go into your prayer light. You start praying, then just thoughts, distractions, and weird stuff starts entering into your brain. And you're like, what? And then you try to have your quiet time and just distractions and all that good stuff. Sometimes distractions are frustrating. Sometimes they're godsend. Sometimes it's like, what, what if it's an angel who shows up in the middle of your room? You're like, can you please come back? Obviously, I am in prayer and fired up right now. I don't have time for you, Gabriel, right? We already talked before, right? Come back later. You're interrupting my time. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Listen, um, yeah, just stop what you're doing. But I'm praying. Yeah, push pause on that. Just, I got something I got to tell you. Verse 20, he says, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people. So he's like, I just kept going and going, pleading with the Lord, my God, for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. Here's what you need to know. The evening sacrifices were not happening anymore, except for maybe in Daniel's bedroom. Jerusalem's desolate. The evening sacrifices, as far as we know, are not happening anymore. But you know who never forgot about them? Daniel. You know who never forgot about when the evening sacrifices were made? Daniel. We don't know if he's making an evening sacrifice in his bedroom, but he still remembers when it happens. Even if everybody else has forgotten, one guy remembers. One guy remembers. And he wrote it down. He's like, it was the time of the evening sacrifice. Verse 22, he explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding and praise God. There you go, people. You can have insight and understanding concerning the prophecies of God. You don't believe me? Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said the same exact thing so that you would understand what this prophecy specifically. So you can't come to it, read through it and be like, well, I don't really understand it, but it's prophecy, so it doesn't really matter, right? Wrong, wrong. Sometimes that's how we treat prophecy. It's because it's weird and we don't understand it. And then we just shelve that because it's difficult or it makes us feel uncomfortable sometimes. But we shelve it because we think it's, I mean, it's probably important, but I mean, it's going to happen anyways. So how important is it to me? Oh, it's very important to you. So you need to understand it. And if you're like, I, Prophecy is difficult for me to understand. Well, then you need to apply yourself and work harder. And I speak to myself about that because there's certain portions of scripture I got no problem with. It just comes naturally to me, just clicks. I don't know why, it just does. Then you get to some other portions of scripture, like prophecy, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Everybody, I mean, I've taught through Revelation. I have people in this church who are like, man, I can't wait till you teach through Revelation. I'm like, I just did. I don't know when that was, like two or three years ago. And they're like, yeah, but we want more of it. And I'm like, that was the hardest book ever for me to teach through. 
This was, that was so difficult for me. The, the first half of Daniel, Daniel 1 through 6, easy. That's, I get that. Chapter 7, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm sweating. I'm stressing because I don't get prophecy stuff that much. I just don't. I get excited about it. But my brain is, I don't know how, what happens with my brain, but it's just like prophecy, no, no computing. Like, I don't, I don't get it. So I got to read a lot of books. And I got to listen to a lot of teachings about guys who have a really good handle on prophecy because I have to apply myself. I can't just shelve it. What, what am I never going to teach from books that speak about prophecy? Hello, 20, 25% of the Bible is prophetic. So I'm going to have to like skip out on a third of the Bible because I don't understand. That's silly. No, what do I got to do? I got to just got to apply myself. But here Gabriel's like, look, you need to understand this. And you can understand this. And so let me just throw it out there for you, Daniel. Right? And I, I praise God for other people. Because if I didn't have like commentaries and I just read through this next part, I'd be like, what? 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 Like, okay. I don't even know what this means. But here you go. He says, listen and understand. 70 sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. And I'm like, what? 70, wait, say that again? 70, this would be me in the bedroom. I'd be like trying to write this down. I'm like, I'm sorry, can you give me that equation again? Because I'm not like a big math guy either, right? It makes 70, seven plus 62 sets of seven, okay, um, or interesting. All right. What in the world does this mean? I'll, look, I'll break this down in a second. It says, Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses, despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and the war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this, half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object or the uh, abomination of desecrations that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. There you go, Daniel. I just wanted to make sure you got that, that you understood that, and that you're good to go. And if I was in Daniel's shoes, I'd be like, I'm, I'm sorry. I think you got the wrong room because I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> 70 sets of six sets of this and that and what in the world? And wait, did you just say the Messiah is going to die? Wait, the, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the, the Messiah, he's going to die? And that'd be the point I couldn't get past. I'd be like, no, 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 wait, wait, hold on. But he can't die. Yeah, it says right here, he's, he's going to be killed. He's going to be cut off. So let's look at these numbers. And, and there's, there's a, a few things that are going to be happening here. Just before I move beyond this, I already have moved beyond this, but... um. This, when, Daniel, when Gabriel shows up, please note what he says, heaven says about him. Highly esteemed. Otherwise translated, I read it in the New Living Translation. It says, 
very precious. Um, that's what heaven had to say about Daniel. I might not be too far out there for me to say, well, that's what heaven is saying about you. Highly esteemed. Very precious. Very precious. Amazing. That's the first thing Gabriel says to Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Um, hey, look, when you first start praying, God sent me here with the message. And we uh, want you to know, number one, you're highly esteemed. He thinks you're very precious. You're like, oh, wow, I've never been called precious before, except for maybe by my grandma. Um, he's like, no, but that's how he feels about you. And oh, yeah, by the way, Christians, brothers and sisters, that's how he feels about you. Highly esteemed. Well, I don't feel that way. Well, praise God, truth goes beyond feelings. So there's that. And then we get back into this, the, uh, the a few things that are going to be happening here. He says, the period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion. Okay, so there's like a list that happens here, uh, about six things. Finish their rebellion, put an end to their sin, atone for their guilt, bring an everlasting uh, righteousness, confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint, anoint the most holy place, right? So you got six things. And the, Gabriel's letting Daniel know, all right, hey, li- listen, Daniel, all right, time's time, the clock is basically about to start, taken down. And here's some things that are going to be happening. And he lists off those, those six things. Now, not all of those things that are listed have been fulfilled yet. We'll go through the list in a second. But the, the, the seven, you know, the, the 70 sets of seven has been decreed, okay? So you have, um, you have here, as he starts throwing out these numbers, seven plus 62 equals the 69. You get the 69 weeks. Um, times seven equals 483 years, right? So basically what Gabriel is telling Daniel is like, listen, there's going to be a decree that's going to happen pretty soon, right? In fact, the next book that we go into on our midweek service um, will probably be Esther. And I know I've already taught through Esther before, but um, this is very apropos to Esther. And what was happening with Esther and the, all the decrees and the time. And I know, I, I know there, she's a part of that. I know also there's uh, Ezra's a big part of that. Nehemiah, Nehemiah probably be a, you'd be like, why don't you go to Nehemiah instead of Esther? Well, I want to cover Esther for some reasons, all right? We'll get to Nehemiah probably after Esther. But within that whole time frame of, of those guys, a decree is thrown out there by Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus, sounds like a dinosaur, can't say pronounce his name. That guy who decrees that the Jews can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild, and rebuild. Now, technically, there's a handful of dates that have been kicked around concerning when that actually starts. Because this number that gets thrown out there, the 483 years, that's very specific. Because the, from the, the day of the decree that gets thrown out there by Artaxerxes, there you go, uh, from Nehemiah chapter 2, which was the, the dates that I, I mean, there's, there's a few that are out there. I have some resources if you want to dig deeper into some of this stuff. But the date that I kind of went with, with some other guys, is 444 BC is when the decree is, is about then is when the decree is given. So you fast forward 483 years What's interesting about that is you end up on calendar-wise, uh, Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, that's the month, 10 of 33 AD. Well, what happened? What could possibly have happened on Nisan 10th of 33 AD? Oh, I don't know. This little thing called the triumphal entry on that date. Exactly. Exactly. 
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the book of Daniel. In it, you'll notice many interesting storylines through Daniel's life. He was exiled from his birthplace and was an alien in a foreign country for the rest of his life. What would it be like to live in a country that wasn't yours for all of your adult life? Would you wallow in self-pity because of your circumstances, or would you make the most of where God chose to use you? Daniel did the latter, making an impact in a wicked country that worshipped foreign gods. But God still used him in a mighty way. God can do the same with you today as you live your life in a country and world that you might not belong in. You may feel outnumbered and surrounded by idolatry of all sorts, but God can still use you greatly, even in this ministry. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we'd be honored if you'd pray with us for all of those who are a part of our listening audience. Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Would you also pray about partnering with us financially? All donations are appreciated no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. There's much more to learn and glean from the Old Testament book of Daniel, including prophecy and faith. We hope you'll tune in again for another edition with Pastor James, as he has more to share about the life of Daniel here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.